RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. Welcome into another edition of Rush the Field. I'm Scott Seidenberg, joined by veteran coach, scout, consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. Another week of the college football offseason, but we know this, Chris. There really is no college football offseason because you can always talk football 365, my friend. There's no question about it, and I tell you, and we're going to get into it tonight. Um you know, the, we, we've got college football free agency now with this whole transfer portal. We'll get into that. But, man, it is. And then, of course, everybody's starting to work on their 2020 class, recruiting class. Uh, we've got some coaching movement. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Spring practices starting in a couple of spots. I mean, Arizona State's one week into their practice. So, yeah, it's uh, it's constantly involving. There's just a playing season and then a getting ready to play type of season. And that's what we're in now. And hey, I just got three five-star commits in my NCAA 13 video game dynasty. So I know our fans out there that are still playing (laughs) those old school college football games know exactly what I'm talking about. But I'm glad you brought up college football free agency because this is something that we've gotten into a little bit before. And the fear that with the new rules where you can play four games and then transfer like we saw from Kelly Bryant at Clemson, the fear that this is going to become something that we're going to see more and more often. Justin Fields, we were all expecting this to happen. He received his waiver from the NCAA, meaning he doesn't have to sit out a year, which would be the normal rules. He can play immediately for Ohio State this year. That's huge for them. Of course, it's 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 monumental for the Buckeyes that they're going to have Justin Fields as their starting quarterback this season. But it brings questions to mind, Chris. Like, what exactly, what a hardship did Justin Fields go through that the NCAA would grant him this waiver that he doesn't have to sit out a year? The guy was eligible to play in the bowl game for Georgia not only a couple of months ago. Yeah, he was. The hardship that they ruled on was an incident that took place outside a Georgia baseball game, which was apparently racially motivated by a Georgia player who was subsequently kicked out of the program. And look, I mean, we all know there's a lot of ugliness in the world. Um, there are a lot of stupid people in the world that that uh, tend to um, you think we, we, we'd be beyond the point of people, um, you know, acting that way. But we're not. It's, it's, it's like any other part of society. Um, that's what happened. Now, whether that justified getting immediately eligible. Hey, look, I, you know racially charged atmosphere you know um i want to leave and i'm not comfortable here i want to be eligible immediately well they they kind of obviously ruled that they could now is that a very liberal ruling look i wasn't there i heard about the incident I, i don't know you know how exactly all the details how it played out but i've heard different things i didn't know if it was going to play out Scott in terms of him getting immediate eligibility but it was and I I, listen I, I, I never am surprised by the NCAA and how they do things I think personally from what I understand it was kind of one of those they didn't want to deal with the PR battle of yeah 
uh, because he got a lawyer and, you know, all right, well. Well, yeah. well that's the thing. And it that, sounds to me like he had a good lawyer. Somebody somebody says something that is is awful, but did it rise to the level of, okay, he can transfer and be immediately eligible somewhere else. That's kind of stretching it, but I didn't think they want to go down that path where people would say, oh, you see, they've got racially motivated. And they, you know, I, I just thought that they felt like, hey, you know, well, you no know, skin off our back if he's eligible. But, but That's didn't we ta- how I took it. Didn't we talk about this, though, when he first announced that he was transferring? When he entered the transfer protocol, I think you and I were both in agreement that he doesn't do this unless his lawyer or somebody was giving him assurances that he would get this way and be eligible to play because the thought process was if you're going to sit out a year anyway, why not just sit behind Fromm for a year and then you're the starting quarterback at Georgia? So and then maybe there's an injury or something and you get to play this year anyway. So if you had to sit out a year at Ohio State, you might as well just sit out the year at Georgia. But he must have had some sort of assurances or at least know that he had a pretty darn good lawyer that he was going to get this waiver granted. Well, he had a lawyer that's very experienced with it. The thing that makes this a little bit kind of tough to <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm glad for him. He's got a sister that's at Georgia. So if it's such a unhealthy environment, mm. you know, you got a family member there. I, you know, so that to me, listen, uh, <clears throat> we could have a million podcasts and never figure out some of the NCAA rulings. That's kind of the way it is. It, let me just say this in, in an overview I said this when we started this. Everybody was, oh, it's great. Kids can transfer. Uh, They should have the right. Coaches can leave and all that. And look, I mean, I sat back and I said, look, it's going to be what it's going to be. But I'm just going to tell you that as a coach, I've had many a player come into my office, wanted to transfer, not happy with playing time, thought he should be all think they're the best at their position on the team and think they should be higher up the depth chart, think they're working as hard as they need to, and yada, yada, yada. And they're not happy, so they want to you know, they want to transfer. Most <clears throat> are glad they didn't transfer, and the ones that did usually felt like they made a mistake. There are exceptions to that. A kid that is from Texas that goes to, you know, Florida – uh, somewhere and has a loved one, a family, uh, someone that, that gets ill, that wants to move back closer to home, things change in their life. To me, that's immediately, you know, stamp it, let them go back, immediate eligibility. That is the type of thing that's really important. But I think this whole transfer portal, all it does is invite kids to say, it's not working out for me, I'm moving on. So we're teaching kids when the going gets tough, I quit and go somewhere else where it's easier. I think it's a bad message. I'm old school. Um, I get it. That's just how I feel. And I think that we're getting a lot of guys that are just moving on. Here's the other thing, though. This is the big picture of it. As we have over 1,400 guys in the transfer portal now, it's become a strategic element, as it always is when you have rules. you got to know the rules and make it work for you, Right. Here's the other thing that's happening. College programs are finding ways to say, eh, you know, Scott, you know, you know, you might ought to look at, you know, basically they're pushing kids out of the nest because maybe there are three or four players in each class that are just not as good 
as they thought when they recruited him. So we're kind of we're kind of push Scott and Chris out the nest and maybe encourage him to transfer so that we can offer that scholarship to somebody mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. Perhaps someone else that's in the transfer portal or perhaps we can gray shirt guys in recruiting, sign extra guys, putting putting some in next year's class on and so forth. So it's become a very very disingenuous process. A commitment is not a commitment. And, you know, it, it's it's working both ways. So I don't think it's a necessarily good thing when a kid just at the drop of a hat transfers because he didn't win out the job. Well, work harder. And, you know, I, I just think that those are the type of things that I look at. That's the old school in me. But that's what's happening right now. It's you have the players with that, you know, attitude. And then you've got the coaches that are constantly understanding, hey, look, we, we recruit, got three five-star quarterbacks, so-and-so is loaded, and they turn around and they get ready for fall practice. They got one, and they got somebody that's in the backup role that they hope to God they don't have to play, you know? And it's it's so you never know. You never have enough guys, and it's created college free agency where, just like in the NFL, you got free agency, you got the draft, you know, college you got recruiting which is your draft and then you got free agency let's sign again auburn lost their number one prospect in the 2017 class a big offensive tackle he went in the transfer portal today now whether they can convince him to get out of it or not we don't want to but but that's the type of quality of players a lot of them that are still in and you know it's it, it's look it's going to be great to add a player like that but, you know, is the kid really committed? Is he looking for the – I mean, mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of questions and that is maybe a lot of unintended consequences that are the byproduct of this new rule. Yeah. You know, a scholarship used to be a contract and it used to be a binding contract and it's not that case anymore. But then you know what, Chris? These kids look to the NFL and what do they see? They see a guy like Antonio Brown who's got three years left on his deal requesting a trade and and putting out a farewell message on social right. media. So, right. you know, if they're like, these guys don't have to live up to their contracts and they're making millions, I don't want to live up to my contract. I want to go play for a different school. So I just think that the system is flawed and I don't see a way that it gets fixed unless you demand that they live out their promises and their commitments. And, and, and let me add one other thing. There are a lot of these kids that are not as excited about transferring as you might think. I'm learning a lot, you know, and every situation is different. But here's what's happening more and more. Everybody sees, has the delusions of grandeur, right? I mean, everybody sees that this is your opportunity. Hey, you're not starting. You were your five-star. You were recruited. You're going to be the guy, and you're not playing. You should go. It's the uncle, it's the dad, it's the mom, it's the cousin, it's the brother, it's the high school coach, it's whatever that are encouraging these guys to go somewhere else. Yeah. And we have these now lawyers that are taking cases and doing this, um, which, again, is a little bit disconcerting because – Who's paying that lawyer? Uh-huh. Most of them came in, you know. And so how locked in are they and what promises down the – so you're getting into a lot of that where 
these kids are often being encouraged to transfer. Hey, they're not respecting you better than that. Well, so because Chris, the ugly to, part know, is, you know, is that the recruiting process doesn't end when a kid commits to another program. That's right. Because that's just right. because you might not legally be allowed to have contact with that kid. Well, like you said, there's an uncle, there's a friend, there's a high school coach that someone from some program and, and it might not be the head coach might not know about it or maybe they do whatever, but somebody associated with the program is having conversations with somebody that's associated with the kid and is floating the idea that you know what if you transfer we got a spot for you we got a scholarship oh, sure. and, and the recruiting process doesn't end just because a kid chooses a different school no absolutely look i mean there was an embarrassing situation um for hawaii you remember hawaii last uh <laughs> They started fall, fall camp last year, and they somehow a, an email got uh, leaked. They invited who was it? I think they invited a number of players off of Fresno State's team mm. to come watch practice. They were and and so yes, there's active recruiting of players from one school onto another school. But I mean, how many uh, stories we, we heard? Of, we heard about Cam Newton's father. Who was shopping him around? Oh yeah, the kid yeah. Was well, a that's the recruiting know? process. I'm yeah. talking about that. Their kids, you know, there are coaches at, you know, at one college right now that are recruiting other kids that are current players yeah. on another college, yep. which that that was never done. I mean, I can remember the day in which, when the great George Allen, who finished his career coaching at Long Beach State. And they had um, they dropped football. The university said they were going to drop football. Okay, they dropped football. I can remember at that time in coaching at LSU, calling Coach Allen, having a conversation with Coach Allen about his players and asking permission to for the athletic director. I mean, we would. I mean, they're canceling, but we go through. We went through that process. One of those players, by the way, that we tried to get that we lost to Georgia was Terrell Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, you know, now it's completely a different world. As you mentioned, kids are getting offered scholarships much earlier uh, when they're committed to a school but not signed. You know, you still have to recruit them because other schools are con- continue to recruit your commitments, which never took place before. That, that, by the way, is why we had the early signing day. That's become the, the big signing day in December. And so it's changed the whole cycle. Though I guess what I'm saying is the whole process of recruiting and staying within a school has completely done a 180. It's changed. And now you not only have to recruit players to your school, but you have to recruit players to stay in your school. Nick Saban last week convinced one of their top players in last year's class that already put his name in the portal. He recruited him and quickly the kid took his name out. But the, the, the point is, is now it's a different, and then you, then you're, you're looking at kids. I mean, I, if, I put a, a post on LandryFootball.com um, talking about Nebraska's recruiting philosophy. They held back a couple of offers in a couple of signings to their class this year, a few actually, because they thought the players that they could have offered were not quite what they had wanted. So they're going to hold out and see if they can't offer that scholarship to somebody at the transfer portal, or if not, use it next year's class. Gray shirt somebody next year or something. So – 
it's a, it's definitely a part of the strategy now of college football, which, listen, it it's probably, it's certainly newsy, Scott. It's certainly mm-hmm. exciting for fans. As an old coach, I, 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 I guess I long for the day and have to adjust to the fact we're in a new world. We, we live, we're living a world you just mentioned. They see it in the NFL. Why do, why does everybody does an end zone dance? I get it. It's fun. It's cause that's what they show on TV. That's the highlight generation. That is the look at me generation. Everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame. That's the world we live in. Everybody is now uh, a media member because they can tweet and post and do whatever. And I think players today see it. They want to have their stardom and everybody surrounding them kind of, that's our ticket. My boy, my cousin, my brother, my, you know, child can be the next great whatever. And I think it is a lot of more about me and not about we in you know me well enough to know that football is more about we and, and it's about what we can do and what you can do individually to make the team better. And I think, you know, so much of it is what is it going to be for me? And we hear a lot of this talk. Players should be paid. Well, you think the players don't hear that? We don't get enough. You don't get enough. Hey, it's a shame. The coach can move. Look what the coach is making. You're not making this. All that's planting the seed, and that's lead, led to a lot of these rule changes and a lot of the attitudes about, you know, whether they want to stay committed someplace because they're not getting their best opportunity in their mind. Well, let's talk about something that's happening now as we head into the second week now of February. Spring practices are right around the corner, Chris, and coaching staffs have already been filled in the college ranks, but in the NFL, some coaching decisions are actually stripping guys from college programs, leaving the college programs to now scatter around and try and hurry up and fill their coaching rooms. Uh, we find out that Kentucky is going to lose their defensive coordinator, Matt House. He's going to join the Kansas City Chiefs coaching staff, and that leaves an opening for Coach Stoops. He needs to have a defensive coordinator. Who is he looking at to fill the void left by Matt House? Well, there, there are a couple of uh, in-house positions that, pardon the pun, with Matt leaving. <laughs> uh, there's some guys in-house that they will look at. But, you know, uh, Mike Stoops, um, uh, Mark's brother, mm-hmm. just took a job at Alabama as a, an analyst for them. That That is definitely a possibility. There's some people on the coaching staff currently at Kentucky that might be, uh, you know, Dean Hood was a former defensive coordinator at Wake Forest. Um, you know, may- maybe they make the move with Dean and maybe they bring in Mike. And, you know, if Mike wants to come and, you know, do that, then he maybe get a position job. But they've got uh, Dean is on the staff. Steve Klinkscale was a defense coordinator at Cincinnati before coming to Kentucky. He's a secondary coach. And then uh, Brad White is the outside linebacker coach. That's really, really good. And he did a good job with Josh Allen. The rising, co- I mean, I, I think that the likelihood is he promotes for, with on a, one of those guys and maybe add somebody to the mix. So we'll see. But that they tried to block Matt. Matt did a great job this year. Uh, he has a background with Steve Spagnuolo, who's now the new defensive coordinator for the Chiefs. So they tried. They made a run at him. The Kentucky blocked him, or essentially couldn't really block him. But there's a. $150,000 buyout that he owes to Kentucky. I'm not quite sure he's going to pay that or how, you know, Chiefs are going to give him a bonus. I, I don't know how that's, but but it got into the point where 
they basically tried to convince him to stay. And so the, the whole announcement, there was a little bit of a back off. And then um, Tuesday morning or actually late Monday night, um, Matt agreed to a deal. And I think Kentucky realized, you know, this guy really wants to go. It's an opportunity. Uh, it's not a really good fit uh, to keep a guy that really wants to go elsewhere. And so um, they told the team on Tuesday that he was leaving. And so it is an official opening and we'll see how, where they make that move in-house. And let's keep an eye out whether Mike Stoops might make a move to join his brother's staff in some capacity. Well, Florida could be looking to fill a void as well as the defensive coordinator position because rumors are swirling that Todd Grantham is going to leave to become the Cincinnati Bengals defensive coordinator. Grantham, he he's, has a history in the NFL, obviously. He was with the Browns for uh, mm-hmm. several years. But this past season at Florida, this is a this is a defense that was, what, 20th in the nation in scoring, first in the SEC in turnovers. Uh, he did a really good job for Dan Mullen. He did. Um, he's very aggressive. Uh, he, is, he did a good job for Dan at Mississippi State. That's right. Before coming mm-hmm. with him at Florida. Um, he, he was at Louisville for a little bit, was at Georgia um, under Mark Richt. And as you mentioned, uh, he worked with the Browns um, a, a while back. Very aggressive, uh, very aggressive, heavy, blitz effective coach. And listen, because of the fact that Zach Taylor was hired late by the Bengals, the last coach hired, they're having a little bit of trouble. Um, some of the candidates out there um, and Zach's a first time head coach as well. And so uh, they're having a, a hard time filing some quality guys. And uh, as you mentioned, this is kind of why the coaching cycle continues to spin and or to in turn because yeah, everybody's looking for coaching, as, as you mentioned. So if Todd leaves, then you know that's an opening at Florida and a big opening, you know, for Dan to fill at a very tough time. However, there's some college coaches now that the second wave of recruiting is done. There's some college coaches that are being let go, but are they the guys you want to hire? Um, the later it is, the more difficult it is to find the right guy, particularly at a coordinator spot. So that would be a tough loss for Florida at this stage. Um, and it's kind of one of the more underrated things that doesn't get talked about enough. It would have an effect, no question. And it would likely have to be somebody that maybe they do something on the staff um, and kind of bring somebody in or bring somebody certainly with a similar background because to change things, uh, you want to get things in as quickly as you can because you're probably two weeks away from starting spring practice. And it's really kind of late to be trying to put in different things off, uh, different things offensively, or in this case, defensively. So this is going to be interesting to watch to see if Todd ends up taking the job. He did have a good interview on Tuesday. He is the leading candidate. And from what I understand, it's his job to turn down. We're going to get into our state of the program coming up for UCF. And and not only will we talk about the Knights, but I also want to get into a conversation about the group of five because UCF is the most prominent group of five school right now based off their performance the past couple of seasons. But real quick, a couple other notes, Chris. Uh, Ole Miss is going to be vacating 33 wins over six seasons after the NCAA sanctions came down. A bunch of violations on their head coach, Hugh Freeze. They have to vacate four wins from 2010, two from 2011, seven from 2012 and 2013, and eight from 2014, five from 2016. What bothers me about all of this, Chris, and I don't know how you feel about this, so let me know. When they vacate these wins, 
I get it. The official records are changed. Uh, Houston Nutt now instead of 24 wins has 18 wins on his record. Hugh Freeze only has 12 instead of 39. That, that, that's all well and good. But I watched that 23-17 win over Alabama in 2014. I watched the fans storm the field, rush the field. That's the name of the podcast. I watched, <laughs> I watched those goalposts come down. That game happened. And it happened against Alabama. It was a huge game. You can't take that away. I understand that maybe for the record books now, it's not there. But what does vacating a win even mean? What does it even do? Is this supposed to deter programs from from making more violations and, and not having ineligible players? Okay, you know what? Laramie Tunsil's in the NFL right now. Do you think he cares about the vacated wins from the times that he was playing at Ole Miss? I don't think he cares. No, I, you're you're so right. I mean, you you take away wins on paper, um, but in reality, they happen. And what are you going to do? Okay, so Alabama's got that win again. Can they go back and replay that season yeah. and see if they can make a playoff run that year? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's just like it just doesn't. It just it it's the most hollow. First of all, if you're gonna be punitive and you feel like there's, then do something that's punitive. Where it hurts is scholarships. Correct. I mean, it really does. I mean, that's what really hurts. This doesn't do anything. It doesn't deter anything. I mean, it's a news cycle for a day and. I'm sorry. It's a news cycle at 9 a.m. By noon, it's like, okay. I mean, how many times have we seen that? Yeah, you're right. I mean, we can go back and look at the records. And, uh, you know, certainly it'll be on their record. Houston, uh, Hugh, who's obviously had a lot of stain on his personal, Uh you know. But, but yeah, it does have something, but, but it doesn't really change the status of the program. And does it deter anything? Absolutely not. Let me say this, too. Um, And we're seeing this right now with Missouri and how they've been hit. And one thing I've discovered over the last week is they're fighting with lawyers very much, you know, kind of like the North Carolina situation because it was a Tudor situation. If you remember the North Carolina basketball situation, Mm -hmm. you know, I've come to the conclusion. First of all, the NCAA Enforcement Division is not only powerless – they have no resources to investigate anything. I don't think people really understand. Do you know how they investigate things? If something comes out in the media, they'll research it. They'll make a few calls. They'll call media. They don't have an investigative force. And the only way that they ever know anything is when a school self-reports themselves. Hey, you know, we did ABC, XYZ. We're self-reporting it. Oh, Okay, <laughs> bad. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna. It, I, it, there is no. I, it would make no sense for a school to re, to report themselves because if you don't, they're not going to find out. I mean, they just you know unless it's something that's caught on tape that gets out in the media. That's the only thing. It, it's just it's become a definitely a joke in terms of how they go about administering punishments. And certainly they have no resources to properly investigate it and they have to have other people do their work for them. Um, 
it's a mess. It's selective enforcement. It's selectment, uh, selective penalty. And um, I mean, look, you saw that in North Carolina. They spent what six million dollars and made the NCAA look like fools. Yep. And you know that you know that they, all that took place in North Carolina. I mean, we know that did, but they couldn't prove it. It just and so. You know why would you why would you report anything today? I, I so I mean my I guess my point is is no it's not a deterrent. Um, I, I I you know it, it's it's an issue that's no question that needs to be redefined reorganized because um, quite frankly it is tougher to get away with things today. Because we're in the information age and anybody that has a phone, and that is everybody, um, uh, including school kids today, they, they have the ability to something to be taped, a conversation, a picture, a, a you know, transaction or whatever. So there's a danger that didn't exist back, mm-hmm. you know, 30, 40 years ago where things would happen. You would never find out about it. Today it could happen. But outside of that, you just, you know – to report, to self-report things, I mean, you know, if you're going to self-report things like Missouri did and get hammered, and, and if you don't self-report and you just lower it up, well, you know, it's basically saying don't report, lawyer up, and the NCAA enfor- enforcement division is not going to be able to catch you. So that's what the message is, and certainly with this pitiful penalty of, you know, let's take away games that took place years ago. It's laughable. I always say, you know, Reggie Bush is the greatest college running back that no one ever saw, right? Because technically we didn't see him. (laughs) And I know for him... That's a whole going, yeah. That's a whole other different story. But, you know, I I always laugh. I always laugh. Not being able to go back to campus, which, you know, I'm sure that's that's embarrassing. But... I wonder if you ask him if he did it over again and he'd do anything different. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just one of those deals. So mm-hmm. I, I think we got to, we got to, it's a, it's a big problem, a big issue that uh, how we enforce things um, or don't enforce things is, is an embarrassment right now. Let's get into our state of the program. What's going on at your favorite school? This is state of the program on rush the field. <laughs> And this week's school, Chris, is the UCF Knights. And it, part of this conversation I want to have, not just about Central Florida, but also about the group of five as a whole, because I think a lot of the conversations that we're going to have about UCF and where they stand right now and where they could be moving forward, a lot of it has to do with the issues that are facing the group of five as a collective. Yeah, and you know, normally when when we've done this, we've talked about the great history of college football, and I tend to like to go back and start when you know late eighteen hundreds when it started, how the name was formed, all things. Guess what, folks? We, we it, <laughs> I can remember this like it was yesterday. Nineteen seventy nine is when Central Florida started their program, Division three, and then eventually worked their way up to Division two, II, Division one A, and then obviously in Division, um, excuse me, when one one double A, and then Division one. A, uh, it is a very new program. And I, they remind me a little bit of Boise in that they kind of did the same thing. Boise State was actually a junior college and then became a, you know, Division 3, 2, 
you know, Division One AA and then Division A. And but Central Florida obviously hit the jackpot because they're located in Orlando. And as the population boom took place, it was a pretty fast rise. They had they've had nine postseason appearances, of course, winning the 14 Fiesta Bowl and the 18 Peach Bowl. Um, they had you know produced you know Kevin Smith and you know Dante Culpepper and uh, Mackenzie Milton of of, of, of recent in, uh, lineage. Of course, they've got guys in the NFL like Bortles and A.J. Bowie and um, Brandon Marshall played in the league, Matt Prater, Kejma Ismail, and Asante Samuel, and a number of guys. But it's a program that was built on kind of an idea and a promise of how we're going to get a program started in a heavily populated area. And they built the um, – the student body that is right there with Ohio State and Arizona State, they kind of go back and forth as who has the highest. And it is it is interesting to see how the program was built in the early stages. Um, a guy named Jack O'Leary started it, and he was the athletic director in 1979 because they're Division Three. okay? So they're Division Three. <laughs> Let this sink in a little bit. So Jack O'Leary is the athletic director. He had a meeting of students. The students spent $14 per night to stay in the dorm. <laughs> they brought their own uniforms, and then they had tryouts in March of 1979. That's how Central Florida football was born. Um, Jack O'Leary was an assistant coach under Bear Bryant, um, and he raised $40,000 to start the program. And so they went out and they hired uh, – uh, they basically had graduate student uh, students coach the first team. And they didn't have anything – you know, they played St. Leo University and whatnot. So they ended up growing, and then they built from there and went up to Division Two. They hired Bill Peterson, the former – Florida State head coach from the 60 to 70 before Bowden got there. Larry Jones actually replaced him. And then, you know, they, they ended up hiring Lou Saban, uh, who obviously had uh, coached at Miami and Army and Northwestern and coached it with the Buffalo Bills and the Boston Patriots. Then Gene McDowell came in in 85 to 97, had some success. Uh, they, they brought uh, Mike Krushek in, who's a former NFL quarterback. And they, he did a nice job. They got Dante Culpepper in, and they were kind of off and running. And then they became, you know, I thought in the late 90s pretty good. They lost close to Auburn, lost close to Georgia in 98 and 99, respectively. And they're all of a sudden, they're becoming a little bit of a factor, and they're getting some talent, and they're getting some money into facilities. And obviously with a very young alumni base, as the university's been around for a little bit, it was under a different name. It wasn't. You know, until really modern times that they they changed the name to Central Florida. Um, Then George O'Leary comes in 2004. And if you could remember, he was the D coordinator for the Vikings and he was at Georgia Tech. um, He was at Notre Dame for uh, what, a couple of days, right? Well, yeah, I was about to say this is kind of came in, you know, they, they had the whole Notre Dame fiasco. He goes to Minnesota, work under Mike Tice, who who actually um, Mike Tice played under George O'Leary in uh, high school and college. So, you know, George does a good job at Central Florida and and kind of builds, takes that program to the next level. They, again, up into the, the FBS level, they started out in the MAC, and they were all 11 in the MAC. But by 2005, they become a Conference USA member, 
and they're off and rolling. You know, in 05, O'Leary was one of the coach of the year candidates around the country, and they became, you know, a real factor. Spectrum Stadium started to develop, which, by the way, is where the Alliance uh, Orlando team is playing. Yep. And then they're off and running. Really, really good team, really good program. And then, obviously, um, they had some NCAA issues, uh, but George really led them to their, their first 12-win season, their first perfect conference record. Uh, they won their first big-time opponent, uh, again, against Penn State. A top-10 team, Louisville, that year was ranked number eighth. Um, first uh, appearance in a, in a BCS Bowl game. They defeated Baylor 52-42 in that Fiesta Bowl in 2014. And I'm talking about Blake Borders is the first-round pick. And now it's, it's on then. Well, then they go out, and he leaves, and who do they tab? And they're able to go in and get a bright young offensive coordinator from Oregon named Scott Frost. He comes in. We all know what he did in a very short order, again, where the program map was in pretty good shape, built an up-tempo offense and led them. They had a little bit of a down cycle, obviously. Remember, Scott took a team that didn't win a game, and he turned around, and they won every game the next year. So it was a great story, but it, it's you know it's, it didn't start with Scott Frost. Hopefully this kind of gives everybody an idea of how the, the, they rapidly you know, improved themselves and uh, and obviously uh, what Central Florida has done is Scott ended up going to his alma mater at Nebraska. They went out and hired Josh Heupel, who's the offensive coordinator at Missouri and certainly played and coached at his alma mater, Oklahoma. And they've got a program that, as you mentioned, is kind of the the beacon program of group of five teams. But now um, what's the challenge that they face because, and you mentioned their growth, which has been tremendous, and, and you compared it to what Boise State had done. You know, it took a while before Boise State was taken seriously as a team that is competing for a national championship. You know, it right. took the Fiesta Bowl victory in 2007, and then subsequent bowl victories and other big games against big name programs for people to take them seriously. You look at Central Florida, the self claimed national champions two seasons ago uh and the fact that even after a perfect season in 2018 they didn't stand a chance to get into the college football playoff Mm -hmm. yet people want to know why that's not fair and i just think it's going to take more time and they need to accumulate more seasons like that for them to start to be on the level. And also, I think the issue comes with non-conference scheduling. And I know that that's a problem because certain schools might not want to play them non-conference. I remember, so so do you remember when, when Hawaii went through their kind of yes. surge, right? Yes. Uh, you know, yes. it was uh, Colt Brennan was their quarterback and, and even before that, Timmy Chang. Yeah, but, Timmy Chang. Yeah, yeah. But, but they they had this surge and programs did not want to schedule them out of conference because you didn't want to go travel there to play because it would be difficult and you didn't want them coming in to play you because they could beat you. And if they beat you, it looked bad on you and it hurt your resume. So they had a hard time scheduling big non-conference games so that they could be taken seriously. I think Central Florida is facing that same issue. Teams maybe are reluctant to schedule them out of conference because they could lose to them. Well, 
that is true. However, it can be done. And I want to go back and use Boise as a recent example. Now, as I mentioned there's a lot of similarity, but there's some differences. Um, I probably am more impressed with what Boise did, with all due respect. Boise is Boise. It's not a thriving metropolis of great yeah, it's not a Yeah, it's area. not a hotbed of talent, exactly. And, and, and they did it with really good coaching and development. And what they did, they went out and they played teams. Yeah, they beat Georgia and they, they beat, but they, they went on the road. They didn't require a home and home. They didn't require like, hey, we've arrived. They went and played. And uh, my advice to Central Florida, uh, and and they've kind of taken the approach of we're going to be loud. We're going to be barsious. They, they, I, they, I call them they, they're the the um, the the hot take guy, like the guys on some of these TV shows that we see on ESPN and other that that don't they don't really say anything intelligent, but they say it loud and people listen. And you know they they got the hot take. That's kind of the way Central Florida is kind of approaches. We're going to be loud. We're going to proclaim this and that, and uh, we're we're going to we're going to demand that you give us respect and, instead of really earning it. Uh, they had a chance. Florida was willing to play them. What Central Florida has to do is they have to do what Boise did. They have to do what Bobby Bowden did at Florida State. When Bobby Bowden got to Florida State, which, by the way, there's a great story. When I told you about when when they started this Central Florida program, they, they didn't have they had like forty thousand dollars. Didn't have anything. Bobby Bowden donated cleats and other equipment for them to use. I mean, imagine think about that today. I mean, how far they've come. But but they literally just gave them equipment because. They didn't have enough to 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 do anything at, at Central Florida. Bobby Bowden played eight games on the road. Southern Miss did it for years. If you want to earn your way, you have to play teams that are good. And get this, you got to go to their place. Yeah, Florida gave um, Central Florida an opportunity, a two for one. Are you kidding me? It's a, it's a, it's a slam dunk. You, it's a slam dunk. Central, you have to take it. Central Florida should have taken a chance to play Florida three times in Gainesville, not not two for one. I mean, that, well, because that, Chris, it's a recruit, it's a recruiting tool. Because well, now you can again, you, Florida yeah. doesn't need Florida doesn't need Central Florida. You're right, but 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 yeah. but think about this: if you're now Josh Heupel, you can go into a recruit's living room that Florida maybe did not give a scholarship to, or maybe mm-hmm. is not guaranteeing playing time to, and you can say we will play in Gainesville three times in your four years if you stay all four years. That's Come right. play for Central Florida. You will get a game in the swamp. You can invite your friends and your family and everyone can see you there and you can stick it to them because they didn't guarantee you the playing time, but yet you're going to come in and compete for first string on our roster. And here's the thing. If you go and you play in Gainesville two times and they come to your place once, uh, that is absolutely a slam dunk you take it. And you go and you compete. If you don't win, you will gain more respect by competing yep. and being competitive than anything. It will say a lot. It, I think there is a, a, a sense of entitlement that Central Florida has that I don't know if they realize who they are and who they are not. Um, you know, you have to earn it. 
yeah, I get it. You, you beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl. I mean, you realize how many teams Florida State went on the road and beat big-time teams in the regular season, what Boise did beating Georgia and Oregon. and I, I mean, it, it's Fresno State beating Wisconsin and Oregon one year. That's another team, another program that did it. Now, is it going to guarantee you a chance to get into the Big 12? No, not necessarily, but but it, it certainly enhances your chances of, I think, I'm more impressed if you're 11-1 and one in your Central Florida – and you played Florida in Gainesville and lost 28 to 24 or something than if you went 12 and 0 and you didn't play anybody. I mean, to me, it says something. Now, it may not get you in the playoffs, but I think it earns you some respect. And I think you you just build. I, I think I think Central Florida kind of falls into the same storyline that we just talked about earlier about kids are entitled. If things don't work out the way they want, they, they will leave. Central Florida wants things given to them. They want you know people to give them respect. Well, Central Florida has to earn it, and you have to earn it with your regular season. I think they've been treated more than fair. I think what's, what Florida offered was more than fair. And, you know, um, I think Danny White's a very young guy. I know his dad, Dad Kevin's the athletic director at, at uh, Duke. Um, but he's you know a little wet behind the ears and not quite sure you know how to handle things and do things and and basically instead of you know throwing you know phony parades, <laughs> just go out and do you know schedule better, get your program um, you know to where you can compete a little bit more out of conference other than just a bowl game, and then begin to prove yourself because look I'm going to tell you they have the resources to where. You know, they've got the population, and as the program is growing, they'll have an alumni base that will put money back into the program. And then with their locale, they can recruit pretty well. That if, and there's no signs that there's any interest by them, but if the Big 12 were to make a move towards adding a team like that, um, man, they've got a lot of things in place. Yeah. They built some nice facilities. They can take that 44,000 seat stadium and maybe add to it. And, you know, all of a sudden, there you go. Uh, now you got maybe sponsorships. You got a big 12 check. You know, all of a sudden you can start doing things and you can do it. It's not like they can't do it if they had equal resources, but they're, they're trying to, earn respect in a way that again in the modern way where no 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 you need to you need to come to our place just as much no you go and make your money by playing at florida because florida is is our is arrived they're not they don't need you you need florida and if you don't think you do well then go play your week out of conference schedule and play your conference schedule and then you know go to some bowl game and you know and you know Peacock, if you're able to beat a team that's got two, three losses and what have. I mean, that's just that's the way it is. Uh, You've you've got to continue to prove yourself. And I do think that they are more attractive than Boise because of where their location is. Yeah. No disrespect to Boise. I'm more I have more respect for Boise and how they have. I mean. I, I had all the respect in the world when Chris Peterson was asked, should should Boise be in the national playoffs? He said, no. He says, look, 
we don't match up with these teams. Yeah, we can line up and beat Oklahoma in a bowl game. We can line up and beat Georgia early in the year. But for the most part, we can't compete. And we, we just to be in a position to be in a BCS bowl is great for us. Central Florida's taking the attitude, well, we're just as good as anybody else. Everybody's scared of us. And then you turn down an opportunity to go play Florida? That's ridiculous. And so this is, a, I, this is a prime time for them, too, because they could take advantage in recruiting to down times with schools like Florida State and Miami. And to an extent, Florida, you know, this isn't exactly the prime years for those programs. Central Florida can take advantage of that and get some of these kids that would normally choose to go to Florida State or choose to go to Miami and say, you know what? I might have a better chance to win a championship going to Central Florida. Well, I mean, certainly uh, they could take advantage of the problems at Florida State. Uh, Miami's in a transition. Now, Florida's really got it going. And so, listen, I. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it like it is. They were scared to play Florida. I mean, they, they, yeah. they go and play Florida, they're going to get exposed. I think that was behind that move. I, there's no doubt in my mind on that. But, you know, I don't see Florida State making an offer. And, <laughs> and, if, and if Florida's willing to Florida's willing to, to come in and, and, and go to Europe, if Florida's willing to go, when, when in, a, in, in what universe does a Florida or an Alabama go to a uh, American conference or a conference USA caliber uh, uh, school, when, when do they go on a road game? What universe does that happen? That, that doesn't happen. That's why you have the haves and the have nots. And for all the talk about what they want to be, what, what Danny White wants to do and he wants to get in Central Florida, he wants to get them into a bigger league. And so that's, and, and listen, I know Scott Frost went to his alma mater, but we all know that if Scott Frost had a chance to go if the Nebraska job wasn't open and it was, they were really doing well. Scott would have left to go to Florida. He would have left to go on to to a, 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 Oregon, a, a, yeah. you know, an Oregon type of job, no doubt. Um, so the, that tells you right there that they're not where they want to be. But and, and I don't know that there's an answer now. When Florida State did it, Miami did it as well. Mm-hmm. They were independents and they earned their way, and it was a different time. And there became an opportunity eventually for Florida State to go to the ACC. There was some talk about Florida State and the SEC. Florida balked on that. And then Bobby Bowden said, I want to go in the ACC. I can win that every year. I can't win the SEC because Bobby had a lot of background in the SEC, <laughs> you know, how things work. But my point is they earned it. And I think Central Florida has to earn that. And I think that they're rubbing a lot of people the wrong way by – being the the obnoxious guy instead of just being the hardworking guy. And so that's where I'd kind of like to sum it up for, you know, that's where I think people respect Boise more than they respect Central Florida because how they approached it. And even Scott Frost, you know, in some of the comments he's made, well, you know, we they claim the title. Well, you know, Alabama claimed titles. And I, you know, it just, it, it sounds petty. And, you know, no one with a working brain thinks that, Central Florida is on a par with the teams that are making the playoffs in terms of earning it. It doesn't mean on a one-time basis they can't beat big-time teams, but nobody has. But it's kind of like we live in an age where if you just bark the loudest to be noticed, you know, even if you say something that makes no sense, you get yourself noticed. And that's what they're doing. And quite frankly, an old-timer like me is not all that impressed with it. So I'd like to see them focus more in their program on continuing to build, recruiting well. I thought they, along with Boise, 
had the two best um, non-Group of Five recruiting classes, as you would expect them to have. Uh, it is not, you know, uh, it's not on par with, with what you need to compete at a high level. But I do believe if they had the resources of a bigger conference, they could recruit better. I, I, I think there's no reason to think that if they got the opportunity that they couldn't do what TCU's doing or what Utah's doing, you know, in, in their respective, you know, Pac-12 or or Big 12. I think they have the resources to do it. But they've got to continue to build the program and prove it by going on the road and playing teams that are really good in bigger conferences and proving it that way. But if they do that and they have one or two losses, then they can't sit there and peacock that they're 12 and 0 again or 11 and 1 again and they're undefeated again. And we have, well, you you're 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 unbeaten because you're a lot better than the people you play, but your schedule is not that impressive. So change it and start impressing people. Then you can get a little bit more respect in the football world. I don't know that that's going to make any difference in terms of, you know, expansion because there's not the appetite to expand. But if there is, you certainly want to be the one that's on the doorstep. And if they don't watch it and their program slips a little bit, now they lose a game or two. Uh, let's say they lose a game or two this year and with their schedule. Then they just become like any other, you know, any other program. I mean, if you watch them play this year, I mean, there's not much, there's really not any difference between them and Memphis. I mean, and Memphis is another good program, but, you know, certainly I think there's a difference between Central Florida is and where a Power 5 school is, and I think they've got some work to do, and if they can can earn that and prove it, who knows? When expansion comes around again, if it does, um, maybe they can be in the mix. Yeah, expansion or realignment. Uh, I do think that there is a case to be made and someone's going to have to, and I'm sure people are doing, an expansive study that might prove, hey, conference realignment should occur and maybe there's a way to incorporate the group of five maybe there's a way to just readjust the power five and 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 really make these conferences so that you have your rivalries built in but you geographically make sense and you give more teams an opportunity. Uh, someone came up with an idea years ago. I remember reading it on the internet for massive college football realignment. And it was basically, you know, creating a north, south, east, west, something like that. And, and what you do is you'd group schools, but you'd keep your rivalries and whatnot. And maybe there's a, a possibility for some conference realignment if we were to ever get to a point in college football where I know you've preached for it for a while, Chris, and I'm 100% with you, where there should be a central governing piece, mm -hmm. a college football yeah. commissioner, something I think that, where... I think their best, I think their best chance, because it is, is if the Big 12 were to see fit to add yeah. two schools. Now, the thing, people say, why don't the Big 12 add them? Well, because... And again, this is what you're the sacrifice you're going to have to make if you're a Central Florida or a Houston or a South Florida. Um, if you're going to go in the Big 12, you, you're probably going to have to forfeit your revenue for the first two or three years. Because why are they going to accept you unless you're bringing something to the table financially? Yep. And, and that's the difficult part of it. And there's not any appetite. That's the problem we don't have a universal, you know, every conference does their own thing. Mm -hmm. And right now there is not the appetite to change. In fact, the, the latest round of 
conference shuffle, as I like to call it, was it's all due to TV markets. I mean, well, that's yeah. why Missouri, which doesn't fit in the SEC, is in the SEC. A&M has a little bit more of an SEC feel, but that brings in the Dallas and Houston markets. There's really not that now. Well, there, well there's if, no reason why Rutgers should be in the Big Ten, but they course. sold the Big it's Ten exactly. on the New York market for the Big Ten network. So by putting Rutgers in the Big Ten, the Big Ten then says, hey, we're now going to get the Big Ten network cleared on all of the Northeastern cable networks that are surrounding the New York metropolitan area. It's the biggest yeah. force in the world, but even Rutgers to this day is still not getting the full amount of that Big Ten check. I think maybe next year Correct. is when they get Correct. their full amount. And, and look, that's a sacrifice you have to make because what options did they have? I mean, they're sitting there. Yeah, out the Big a, East folded. Big yep. East mm-hmm. folding. They're not getting invited anywhere else. I mean, Rutgers is Temple. Yeah. Without, a, a, the, without the fig leaf from the Big Ten, they're Temple. Which, by the way, has done really good and rebounded from, you know, getting kicked out of the Big East to going to the MAC to rebounding and now the American and another program that's doing a good job. But the same thing is said for Maryland. I mean, Maryland is is ACC as ACC can be, you know, but they go the Big Ten because it brings the D.C. market. Same reason. And we're not we don't have that. We don't have anybody that's looking to move into the Orlando market where you're willing to move is within take the only the the next movement. I think the, the most likely is if, and it depends on Texas, if Texas feels like they want to do something else, then you could see them go to a Pac-12, for example, and then all of a sudden the, the Big 12 would just, you know, you, it'd be a scramble to, you know, Oklahoma would go to the SEC. and to, I mean, you, you'd see that, you would see the Big 12 disband. There's a better chance of that happening than really the Big 12 you know, again, it all depends on Texas. If Texas wants to be independent, still has that sweetheart deal with ESPN, which I yep. think is close to running out. When that runs out, you know, they normally have a TV deal in the Big 12 where they get more money than the rest of the schools because they're Texas. That's kind of that's why Nebraska left. That's why AM left, because they didn't they didn't like how Texas ran the league. Well, if Texas stays then the Big 12 is going to be in play and then. There is a place for maybe a Central Florida to get into the Big 12 if they want to expand, if they feel like there's justification for it and it's going to benefit, excuse me, for it. But, you know, I think there's just as good a chance that if Texas decides they're not getting what they want, they can maybe get what they want somewhere else. And then if that happens, if Texas leaves on Monday, on Tuesday, the Big 12 falls apart. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And Texas could do what BYU is doing and just go independent and, and keep the Longhorn Network because BYU is not in a conference because they get all the money from their own television network. You know? Yeah, although that's what I said. We're going to see yeah. what happens with ESPN. Now, I, I don't know this. You may know more than I do about this. I have heard that ESPN has said that the worst financial deal they ever the made Longhorn was network. the yep. Taylor Network. Because yep. they, they, now Texas gets... 30 million a year mm-hmm. for that thing. And they're, they're getting, you know, the $300 million. They're getting just apparently, but, you know, hey, listen, you can catch the Longhorn Network on satellite. You can't catch the Pac 12 Network. That's, that's, a- that's, a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation and a problem. But, but I think there, there is, you know, everybody talks about realignment and like you do. It makes sense that, you know, hey, you geographic and all that. The, the unfortunately the horse is out the barn and we're not we're not rallying them back in and and it's going to be a little bit um, uh, 
you know, obtuse in terms of how teams are separated in different parts of the country. And it's not just about, you know, how good your football program is, but the the financial solvency of your 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 athletic department. And we'll see how that plays out in the future. But in Orlando, with a huge um, uh, growing alumni base in a in a student enrollment, they've got some things going for them. They just need to do a little bit better and, um, you know, hey, understand that well done is better than well said. They tend to, to I think, crow a little too much about doing um, something that's been good, but certainly not spectacular. Well, Chris, it's certainly a busy time. Lots of news to get to. And on LandryFootball.com, I know you're covering it all. You got to learn what NFL teams and college programs already know by joining LandryFootball.com. And now as you get into this scouting season with the draft coming up, you want to find out all the information about Kyler Murray playing football? You head to LandryFootball.com. Free agency, draft, college recruiting, coaching moves, roster analysis on both the college and the pro game, and all the latest inside scoop, all all this and more for less than a magazine subscription. And now with a special postseason discount, you also get new episodes of the Landry Football Podcast Tuesdays and Thursdays, new episodes of Rush the Field on Wednesdays, and you can sign up for the free War Room newsletter. I got this in my email on Friday. I, I love getting the War Room newsletter every week, Chris. It's it's one of the best things out there because you know what? It's free and it keeps you in the loop. Yeah, we, we like to put some information that is, you know, we don't have on the website that's maybe not fit for publication, but we want to provide you some inside information that's going on around the world of football. So, yeah, it's easy to sign up. As you mentioned, go to the website, hit or room, put your email in, and you'll get that in and keep everybody up to the loop. And we're excited. For the college fans, look, uh, recruiting is done, but we are breaking down each of the schools. We've got each player in the recruiting classes created for you with a lot of individual scouting reports on the players so what a great opportunity check out landryfootball.com um another week or so we'll have every school in there so um in the power five and a couple of others so uh it's a great opportunity there as you mentioned draft free agency coaching moves we got it all covered for you at landryfootball.com so check it out and be sure to follow chris on twitter at landryfootball follow me scott seidenberg on twitter at scott's on air Rush the Field can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Until next week, Chris. Hey, Scott, always a pleasure. And I think we got Washington State next week that we'll break down. Uh, so look forward to that. State of the program with Washington State. Oh, keep your inner pirate going, right, Chris? We'll talk to you next <laughs> <Absolutely>. week. <laughs> When you are looking for the latest news and notes going on in the world of mixed martial arts, the MMA Report podcast is the place to come. News from the UFC, Bellator, World Series of Fighting, and so much more. And also we'll have interviews with some of your favorite fighters. The MMA Report podcast can be found on RadioInfluence.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud.